0: Well, I've noticed something. I've noticed that there's essentially two types of people, and I believe this so strongly I'm almost going to make it an interview question whenever we hire staff here because I think it says so much about people. You'll see this in kids. You'll see this in your other family members, coworkers, whatever. Really, just two types of people. There are the rule followers and the rule, oh yeah, the rule breakers. Now, It's so easy. You know what you are already, just when I said that. You already know what you are, because some of you guys, you only need to be told once. Don't do that. You don't even need a good reason. You'll just do it. You will follow all of the rules, okay? That's just your personality, all right? That's my wife, Nicole. Now, there's others in this room where somebody will tell you, definitely do not do that thing. Never do that thing. If if, if it's your entire life, make sure you just don't do that single thing. And then what do you do? That thing, it's like the total invitation. I don't even understand this psychology. I was walking around my neighborhood recently and a new sign got put up and the sign just looked like this, very simple. All it said was, put it up there real quick, privately owned horses, do not pet or feed. You know what was so strange? The very first thought that went into my mind was, well, where's these horses that I'm gonna be petting very shortly? And I'm getting carrots right now so I can feed them all of the carrots. Like that's literally what went into my head. It's so weird. Now, hear me. I understand there are important rules and we got to honor them sometimes. But can, can we just be real here? Some rules are just meant to be broken. Can we just admit that? I don't want to go to a pool and have a whole list of 50 rules that say, don't run, don't jump, don't dive, don't splash, don't have toys, don't do anything. Because I'm like... I didn't come here to take a bath. I came here to have fun. I don't want to follow the rules. Pools are meant to be fun. And the weird thing is rules can taint a lot of things, and they can actually even taint faith. So you talk to people who sometimes have left the church at some point in their life, and many times if you have that conversation, you say, why didn't it work out for you? Why don't you have any interest in Christianity or faith? And the conversations will sometimes go in the direction of, well, there are just so many Rules, standards, expectations, all these things you had to abide by. Men can only wear suits. Women can only wear dresses. Here's all the expectations for you to be an upstanding church member. And it's almost like people are trying to get you to leave. Like, really, that seems like that's the goal. And you even ask many people today, what's kind of your view of Christianity? And usually people will just kind of run off a list of like, well, here's kind of the rules and some things you need to do. Here's things not to do. And if you get that kind of right, then God's going to kind of like you, maybe on some level. And actually, you know what rules can also ruin and mess up in your life? Rest. Rules can actually steal your opportunity to experience real rest in your life. Now, we've been in a series that we're continuing today that we've been calling Pause. And to catch any of you guys up, if you're just joining us today, we've been talking the last couple weeks about just the broken relationship we all have with rest on some level. We actually don't know how to do it. We know how to take days off. You know, we can skip the office, you know, some weeks and all that and take days. But we actually don't know how to rest. And many people in here, you feel like you're in a constant hamster wheel of responsibilities and activities, and you're just constantly exhausted. And I'm actually really excited because now we're four weeks in and we're going to go as long as we have to until you start listening to me and applying these things. But um, four weeks in, if you go to nhills.org resources, we have an entire page of resources just on rest. And so we have podcasts on there, videos, articles, some other books that you may want to check out, and you'll even see some of these were what inspired some of the content of this series. So if you're just somebody who wants to dig in more and learn some more, there's some really good stuff on there. Check it out. But really, the heart behind this is understanding that God actually wants you to be living in a rhythm of rest where you can sync up with him. And it's not just so you can recharge your batteries. He wants to give you rest down to your soul. Now, today... We're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about the rules of rest. Because sometimes we have to understand that there actually are principles you have to abide by. There are certain guidelines. There's things you actually have to do for the rest to be restorative. And actually, God's word has a lot to say on this. And I'm hoping this to be really helpful. We're actually going to be in a passage in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 6. We're actually going to look at a small event in Jesus' life. And it gives us some insight into how he actually views rest and what he wants for us in it. This is kind of cool. So let's check this out. Verse 6, it says this. On another Sabbath, key detail right there, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, cue the movie music like dun, dun, dun. Okay, you got to feel this a little bit. You got to feel a little bit of the tension right here. Let me give some context. We get introduced to these Pharisees, these religious leaders. These guys hate Jesus, despise him, because he's actually breaking and pushing against some of the rules that they have instituted around their religion. And there is one thing that was so critically essential to Jewish people, massively important, still is today for Orthodox Jews, and that is the Sabbath, this thing we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. For them, this was a critical piece to their core identities of people, that you take a day of rest. Now, while that was so important, all these Pharisees started to add some rules around this rest. They actually have a document called the Mishnah. I don't know if you've heard of this before. This is an extra-Jewish document that has different guidelines around some of the Old Testament commands and practices. Now, this is in Bible, but it has some interesting things in it. Do you want to know what some of the commands in the Mishnah are around rest? What you're supposed to do on your Sabbath? Here's a few to give you a taste. You cannot sew more than one stitch on the Sabbath because that'll definitely fix a dress. Right, ladies? One stitch. Um, You're not allowed to write more than one letter. Just one single letter. Not allowed to do more than that. You're not allowed to light a candle, because that's considered work. Now, this was one of my favorite ones. You're not allowed to, well, you are allowed, Trust me, you are allowed to spit on a rock, but you're not allowed to spit in the mud because if you spit in the mud, you're making mortar, which is work. So, okay, so you guys can all spit on rocks but no spitting on mud, that's weird. Do you wanna hear some modern day ones? Maybe you can pray about applying these in your own lives. Um, You're not allowed to tear off a sheet of toilet paper. I don't know how that day is gonna go for you. Um, (laughs) You're not allowed to blow air into a balloon, because again, that's worked, and you can't turn on a light switch. So these are some of the things that actually even serious Jews today will follow. Now, I heard a story of a pastor who went to Jerusalem once um, in the last couple of years. And if you go to Jerusalem on Saturday, that's their Sabbath. And what happens then is all of the elevators stop on every single level sequentially so they don't have to press buttons. Because that creates electricity. And so he walked into an elevator one day on a Saturday, and all these people started flooding the elevator behind him, like packed it in like sardines. He's like, what is going on here? And they proceeded to ask him to start pressing buttons for him. He became their butler. Hey, can you press 7 real quick? Can you press 12 for me? And what he realized is, oh, okay, so these people don't want to press buttons and incite the wrath of God on themselves, but they're totally okay with me doing that (laughs) if I break all the rules. So tons of rules. All these regulations that they formed around rest in particular, and one particular regulation in the mission, again, not the Bible, was no healing on the Sabbath. So if you broke your arm in half, you got to wait a day because nobody's going to fix that. And if you need any type of healing help or medical work, it has to wait because, again, no doing that on the Sabbath. It's a rule. So these religious leaders, they're not seeing if Jesus is going to help this guy. That's not what they're hoping for. They're seeing if Jesus is going to break some rules. This is a big deal to them. Now, look at verse 8. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. So you just got to feel this moment right now, just this tension in this room. You have this dude right in the middle of this room, tons of people gathered around right in this service. And in verse 9, Jesus said to them, I ask you, what's lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? Now this is what's so incredible about Jesus. He never skirts around issues. He's able to drive right to the heart of a matter. And he's basically asking, okay, is this Sabbath thing really about the rules? Is that ultimately the goal of this day of rest? that we abide by all these little expectations and standards that we've created for ourselves? Are we so committed to this religious practice that it actually does harm to another person? Do we really believe that's God's heart? He's pressing. Verse 10, He looked around at them all and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely Restored. Can you imagine this moment right now? This guy had a clear, obvious disability. And not only that, he probably wasn't able to work at the time because of it. You can only imagine how that impacted his life. Also, if people saw his hand, they would have seen that as a sign of God's wrath and judgment on him. Because something like that would only happen to somebody who did something that God wasn't happy with. So he had a curse on his life, according to them. And this guy is standing in the very presence of God himself, looking Jesus in the face. And Jesus doesn't bring condemnation. He doesn't bring judgment. He doesn't have words for this guy. He gives him exactly what he needs. Total healing. Perfect restoration. Everything he could have hoped for right in that moment. But you know what Jesus also did right in that moment? He sent a very clear message to those religious leaders that some rules are meant to be broken. (laughs) And look at their response in verse 11. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one one another what they might do to Jesus. Okay, try to understand this moment. These guys just saw an undeniable miracle. Jesus just defied the laws of medicine and science. And they're standing in the presence of God Himself, and they just saw a guy whose entire life has been completely changed. And you know how they feel? Furious. They're mad. And now they're like, How do we kill Jesus? Because clearly, the guy who heals people and can raise them from the dead needs to be stopped. And You just can't even believe this. But this should be a check for some of us. It's easy to judge these guys. You need to stop, though, and ask, well, hold on. It's very possible to be more strict than God. You can actually have more rules for your life than God has for you. You can actually have a higher standard and set of expectations for yourself than God even expects of you. And this is the danger of religiosity. You know, some people get so committed to measuring their life by self-imposed standards that it ends up actually pushing them further away from God. And these guys have become so committed to their rules that it hardened them to the very love, grace, power, and presence of God right before their eyes. That should be a huge caution to some of us. Some of you guys, you're living by standards that God hasn't even set for you. And Jesus is like, some rules are meant to be broken. Now, there's another instance that Jesus has an encounter with the religious leaders on a Sabbath. I'm not going to read the whole story. He gets in a debate. Of course, he wins it. But there's one line that drives the whole heart of this. And this is where we're going to go from today. Jesus says this right in Mark Mark 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man. And ladies, not man for the Sabbath. Jesus is pushing hard on this. He's like, you got to understand, your rules are ruining something that God meant to be a gift. That the thing that was actually supposed to ease burdens in your life, you're turning into a burden. God is actually trying to bring a blessing into your life. Not something for you to serve, something to serve you. And so the heart of the matter is Sabbath, rest. It's not about rules. It's about restoration for your soul. This is God's heart for you. And for any of the Bible nerds in this room, you'll find this kind of interesting. All of, not all the healings, the majority of the healings that are recorded in Scripture that we know from Jesus were actually performed on the Sabbath. It's kind of interesting. And it's not just because I think that Jesus was trying to, you know, get in the face of the religious leaders, though that was a nice little purpose of it. I actually think he's giving a little cue there. He's trying to point to the fact that this Sabbath practice it has healing power. It has real restorative power in your life. But not only that, Jesus was already hinting during his life that he is our true rest. He's our true healing. He is the true Sabbath that we actually need, total restoration from him. And so this is what everybody needs here today as we continue this series. God made Sabbath for you. He's inviting you to experience the gift of real rest in your life. He wants your soul to be restored. And he wants you to live into this amazing rhythm of rest in your life, even here on this side of eternity. Now, the Pharisees had a problem. Their problem was they tried to add too many rules to rest. Guess what? That's not your problem. Nobody in here has a problem. Maybe one person. I don't know who you are. Find me after service. You actually have a problem where you have too many rules around rest. You know what our problem is in the modern day? No rules. We got no regulations. How many of us, your day off comes, and what you do is just the hundred things that you didn't get done during the week, right? It's the junk drawer day. That's how we do it. And then you get back to the week, and you're like, why am I so tired and cranky and irritable and hate my weekends, you know, my time off? Because you don't know how to rest. You don't know how to do it. So you actually do need some protective guidelines. You need some structure around how you rest. Otherwise, it's just gonna become a big mishmash of activity and responsibilities and exhaustion. So we're gonna talk today about what are some of the guidelines God gives? for how you can rest so you can actually come out the other side and feel restored. This is going to help some of you guys today. This is going to be like the nuts and bolts sermon. Sometimes I love doing these. It's just super practical, super helpful. You note takers, I have a point for everything. You can write it down. You're welcome, all you type A freaks. So um, we're going to talk for a minute about practicing the pause. Practicing the pause. How do we do this? This is the whole series. Pause. How do you actually pause in a way that helps your life? Now, if you're jumping in, The last couple weeks, we've had a couple little applications sprinkled in. So we talked about how you really need a finish line in your week, in your rhythm. Where do you just say, "This is where I stop," "This is where I take some time off," "This is where I don't have to do anything productive or do any work." But we also said you got to define what work is, though. What's work to you? Because that's the stuff that God says, "Take a day where you don't do any of that." But we also said you got to define rest. What's restorative to your soul? And then just fill your rest with that. And then even last week, said you got to radically resist some of the things that are trying to pull you in and take to sap your soul of energy. So I'm going to talk through some of these big principles. This has been years of trial and error for Nicole and I, so I'm really just trying to accelerate everybody in church. I want to save you four years and have you mastering this in four days. That's my goal. So let's talk about some of these big principles we see from scripture. The First thing we see about this whole idea of Sabbath and rest is it involves this concept of subtract. Now, One thing I've seen undermine so many people's attempts at really resting is they say, okay, Brian, so God wants me to rest, right? I got to take a Sabbath. Okay, so here's the hundred things I'm going to do on that day then so I can rest. Here's my list. Here's my color-coded calendar. You know, here's all the stuff I'm going to do. And then you start feeling exhausted because you already have a million things going on. And you're like, here's the million things now that I've decided I'm going to do when I rest too. And you, you lose before you even start. And I got to keep bringing us back to this. If you are joining us, we said the literal definition of Sabbath is, does anybody remember? Stop. To stop. That's literally what the word means. God is saying, I want you to stop from the grind. I want you to, stay to take a pause from the hustle. And so your filter, when you start thinking about this, should not be, what are all the things I'm going to do when I take time off? No, actually, you should be asking, what are the things I want to take out? What do I want to subtract from my life? And maybe you wouldn't even qualify it as work, but it's just soul-sucking to you. And God is saying, yes, take that out. This is about stopping. Nicole and I actually had a major decision around this that really, really was a big deal for us. And a couple years ago, we entered into the season of no return that has been very soul-sucking for us. And it is the season of activities for the children. Any parents in here know what I'm talking about? You cross this threshold where your kids get at that age where there's soccer and swimming and tennis and curling and uh, <laughs> like bowling and all these different clubs. And you're just like, what is happening? And you have the parent meetings for it and then the celebration at the end and all the stupid trophies and all the things. And Nicole and I are like, oh my goodness, like we have a whole nother full-time job just carting these kids around to all their activities. It's ridiculous. And we started having a serious conversation about it like, how do we make this work for us? Because for Nicole and I, the only day we actually have where neither of us has work responsibilities or anything is Saturday. That's just our one day that's even an option for us as a family. So we started talking and we made this hard decision. It was multiple conversations. And when you hear this, this is not something I'm imposing on you, by the way. All right, this is not a standard I'm saying you need to live by or whatever. This was just us. Nicole and I said, for our own sanity and sustainability in our souls, we said, for this season of our lives, We're not going to commit to any kids' sports or activities that have Saturday commitments. Now, I was expecting a collective gasp right there from the church. (laughs) Because any parent in here knows that is like suicide, you know, because all of the things happen on the weekends and all that. And I will say, this has been a real struggle for Nicole and I. This was not an easy decision because by the time I was Easton's age, I already had years of soccer racked up under my belt. He's got no chance of going pro. I have ruined all those opportunities for him. This kid's got no chance, right? He's terrible. He is terrible. He's missed the window to go pro. And actually, it's our daughter who's actually the natural athlete. Brindley is a guaranteed college scholarship if I can find a sport for her. She is gifted. And I've struggled because I'm like, dang, this girl's not getting the opportunities she needs. And you see your neighbors doing what they're doing and your friends doing what they're doing. And you feel like, man, are we falling behind? Are they missing out? Like, my kid doesn't know Chinese yet. What are we going to do? And... I will say this, Nicole and I have gone back and forth on it many times because we're like, was this the right thing? But now about two years into this decision, when I see our Saturdays now and what we've crafted over the years, and it's just this collective, <sighs> for our family, even our kids, the blessing from that, the quality time, just the investment we're able to make with the kids, I, I don't think I would trade it for any of the soccer fields on planet Earth. and. I know some of you might be hearing this thinking I'm somehow making a judgment about your schedule because you just spent six hours on the soccer field yesterday. And trust me, I'm not saying that at all because I know there's some people in our church where sports are a big deal for your family. And and that's fine. Like do the traveling. love getting out there and coaching and being a part. Awesome. Do your thing. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for you. Make it your own. But this question is worth asking yourself as you go through this process of what rest looks like for you. What would be good for your soul, if you cut it out on your day of rest. Again, maybe it's not work, but for you, you need it to be subtracted at least somewhere in your rhythm for just your soul not to be sucked dry. And so for some reason, again, it could be anything. Maybe it's shopping for you. You're like, I will not cross a threshold of a store on my Sabbath just because I hate doing all that stuff. It could be cleaning where you're like, I just allow things to be messy for one day. Maybe you need to... Create a little, some rules around subtraction in your life. Need to subtract some technology. Maybe some people. Just going to throw that out there. Pray about that. Um, (laughs) Just whatever. And just say, you know what? I'm going to subtract a few things. And it's actually kind of hard sometimes. Because you might feel like you're missing out. You might feel like you're messing something up. But God says, I want to give you the blessing of subtraction in your life too. You can pull some things out. Let it be a blessing to you. Now, it's not just subtraction, though. There's another key principle we see about this whole Sabbath rest thing throughout the Bible, and it's actually delight. Now, if, again, you're just joining us, we talked about how the Sabbath literally means to stop. But actually, it's a word with a double meaning. It means two things at the same time. Sabbath can also be translated as to delight. So many people get the stop from work thing down pretty quick. They're like, okay, I'm supposed to, like, take a break from working. I get that. But then... What happens is you start to get really bored, and you're like, what am I supposed to do on this day of rest? Like, watch paint dry? Like, this is terrible. And that was actually my first experience of trying to do this rest thing. I was like, this is so boring. This is so lame. What am I supposed to do? And then when Nicole and I started studying it some more, we saw that God actually intended for this not just to be a day of stopping, but a day of delight. And God says, I want to Give you this day where you can experience and relish in all the good things life has to offer. So, follow me here. Isaiah 58, starting verse 13, God says, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight. Now, there's a little wordplay happening right there because Sabbath means delight. He's like, If you will just delight in what I meant to delight you, it's kind of cool. And the Lord's Day, Holy, uh, Lord's Holy Day, honorable, then you will find your joy in the Lord. So, when we talk about this idea of Sabbath being delight, it's not just about having a day of frivolous pleasure. God is saying whatever pleasures and delights you experience in this day are actually meant to bring you a deep sense of joy in God Himself. It's supposed to just help you appreciate the goodness of God and all the blessings he's brought in your life. And God says, just enjoy that. Let it fill your life. Now, I can't even believe I get to preach on this. This is like the fun stuff to get talked about. I can't, you, you'll never hear something like this in a sermon ever again. I heard a pastor once talk about this concept you can apply in your Sabbath, so you're welcome right now. He said you should utilize what he calls Pleasure stacking. Now, here's what he means by this. Track me. He says, You know what you should do? You should think of all of the things you love to eat and experience and just enjoy. And he says, Save all that stuff for the Sabbath just save it for your day of rest. Let it pile up all week. And then when you get to that day of rest, just open the floodgates of delight across your entire life. And what it does is it just creates a sense of expectation, and it just helps you appreciate even more just the goodness of God. And I'm telling you what, I have applied this in my life in such profound ways. Now, I don't know if this is a secret anymore, but I am a sweets person, all right? Can I get a witness from anybody in the room? Where are my sweets people at, all right? You salty people, you don't know what you're missing. It's all about the sweets. Um, So I'm all about brownies, okay? I'm all about ice cream, all about cookies. And I'm telling you, this is not a plug for you to make me some cookies or brownies. I got plenty, okay? Please do not make me any cookies. Um, I got way too many. But what I've been doing is I'm like, you know what? Instead of eating 10 pounds of sugar every day, I'm gonna eat 70 pounds of sugar on one day. And so I've actually been telling our staff this. I'm like, guys, stop bringing candy in the office. Stop putting cookies out because we have like a lunch table and there's always sweets on this table. And I have no self-control when it comes to sweets. So I'm like, stop it because I want to save some of that stuff for when the weekend comes. And so now Nicole's kind of in a, a habit. We don't do this every week, but most Fridays she'll now like pff, midday towards the end of day bake a set of cookies or go to the store and grab some ice cream. And just on Friday recently, I walked down in the kitchen and I saw these right in our kitchen. And the glory of God descended down on our kitchen in that moment. And the angels started singing. And I was like, oh, yes, Sabbath is coming very shortly. And the only problem with these cookies was I actually had to share them with some people too. That was the only drawback. Otherwise, I would have eaten every single one. But here's what I'm getting at with this. You can actually, like, plan for delight in your life, no matter what's going on. And you can create these fun little rituals and markers in your life to help you appreciate and look forward to these things. And actually, if you have kids, this is a really fun thing to do. Historically, you know what dads did for their kids on the Sabbath? They would actually feed their kids honey. On the Sabbath because that was like candy for them and it was a way to help remind them of just the delight and the goodness of rest and how awesome God was. So I've heard stories of where parents will have like a special box of toys just for their kids on the Sabbath day so they can pull them out and they can get all excited. Um, special foods if you have older kids, certain activities or places you go, just these fun little traditions you can work in. There's a family in our church where Friday is kind of their finish line in the week. And they get to the end of the week, and the dad has instituted this tradition. And it's called steak night. So every Friday, they have steak as a family. And I was actually at their house a couple weeks ago. And the dad, he's like, hey, Brian, let me show you something. He's like, hey, boys, what's Friday in our house? And the boys were like, steak night. It's steak night on Friday. Steak night, steak night. And they would get all hyped up and jacked up about this steak night thing. It was kind of weird, actually. But... It was so cool, though, because these little kids just have this awesome little tradition that they just get excited about, and it marks, like, this awesome moment where they just get to stop as a family and enjoy each other. And I'm telling you, it's so weird, even with my own kids. You know, you get to the age where the kids are like, hey, can I have a treat? Can I watch a show? Can I have candy? Can I do a super irresponsible thing that you don't want me to do? And they want to do all this stuff. And I say, yes, you can on the Sabbath. And actually, it's weird. They get excited about that. They're like, okay, I can wait three more days for that. And so whether you have kids or not, What are some little traditions, little rituals, little moments of delight you can build into your rhythm to remind yourself, God is so good. I am so blessed. There's so many wonderful things to enjoy in this life, and I have so much to look forward to even in the next life. That's the delight God wants to build into your life. So you got to subtract sometimes. You got to look for some delight, build some delight into it, but also key word here, it's about worship, worship, worship. Exodus 20, we've read this throughout this series, but this is one of the Ten Commandments right here. It says this in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it, what's the word? Holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Okay. So yes, Sabbath is about rest and restoration for yourself, but it's fundamentally actually an act of worship. It's devotion to God. It's actually dedicating time in your life to him. It is to the Lord. Now think about a typical week in your life. If your life is anything like mine, it's organized chaos, right? You're just trying to figure it out. You're juggling all the things. You got kids to figure out. You're cooking to figure out. You got stuff at work to worry about. And you're just kind of trying to manage and juggle and spin all the plates. Like it's not typically that great. But... God says, I want you to take one day that you entrust to me, and you actually recalibrate yourself spiritually. You're recentering your soul, and you're putting God back in his rightful place in your life. God's saying, I want you to do that. Now, historically, Christians have practiced Sabbath on Sundays. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, they said, you know what? That was a pretty significant moment. Let's mark that in our week. So every week we're reminded of just the glory and resurrection of Jesus. Now, it used to be Saturday, you know, historically for Jews and all that. When America was founded, they didn't know what to do because they're like, uh-oh, some people do Saturday, some do Sunday. So guess what? You got both. Merry Christmas, all right? Thank you, Jesus, for two days off in America, all right, <laughs> if you live in that rhythm. Now, what Sunday could do for some people is it gives you a spiritual anchor in your week, which is? Church. By the way, congratulations. You just made it to church in May, by the way. All right? You get brownie points. Usually people are quitting church for a couple months, started right now. And that can be a really helpful anchor. We say, no, church is important to us. As much as we can, we're making this a priority. It's an act of worship and trusting God with our time, hearing from His Word and singing to Him. That can be a really helpful thing. But not everybody has traditional schedules. Not all of us are Monday through Friday people. And this is why Paul in Colossians 2 says this Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. So the principle of Sabbath still applies this idea of rest and rhythm, but the practice, the rules can look different from person to person. God is saying, don't let the rules restrict what God really wants to do. So you can start asking, as long as there's a heart of worship to it, you can bring a lot of your own personality and style to this. Um, There's a woman from our church who last week at one of our welcome parties, she came up to me, she said, Brian, I'm starting to experiment with this Sabbath thing, and it's kind of cool. She's like, I wasn't really thinking of it like this way, but have you ever considered the fact that, you know, God invites us to this idea of the tithe? Which if you don't know what that is, that's bringing God the first 10% of the resources. You're trusting him with your finances. She says, Sabbath is kind of like the same principle, but instead of with money, it's with time. She's like, you're actually trusting God with a chunk of your time and believing that he's going to bless the rest of it. And I was like, woman, when do you want to preach at our church? Because I ain't never thought of that in my life before. That was pretty profound. That was a pretty cool idea. And here's, here's the heart, though. This is the question you should ask. How can I make Sabbath a day that glorifies God? So what would worship look like for you? What would really just bring God glory on that day and please him? One thing that's helped me think about this is I try to look at Sabbath as an opportunity just to connect with God in a different way than I do during the week. Because during the week is just busy. It's hectic. And so I try to just get some extra, just kind of special time with God. So for me, it might just be a leisurely walk where I'm not punching through my prayer list like I do some days and I'm just enjoying God. Just talking to him, just chilling. No agenda. No agenda. Not No rules. Sometimes it's just music for me. I love music, so I'll get on the keyboard or a guitar or drums and just mess around play some worship music or red hot chili peppers because that can be worship too. In Jesus' name. That may have been yesterday. Um, but I'm just looking for those times. Like, how can I just enjoy God? And I know everybody here, you have different personalities and styles. Some of you guys, it's nature. You're like, I just got to get outside. And if I'm in the trees or the mountains, I'm just with God. Some people, it's artistic expressions. It's journaling. It's getting by yourself. It's getting around other people. What would just bring worship to God as you're resting? God says, let's make this a time to get you spiritually recalibrated and, and worship him a little bit. Now, with the few minutes I have left, I actually just want to give you guys a couple of what I would call pastoral recommendations. This is just some principles I see in scripture, but even just some personal experience that I hope can be really helpful because I would love to save you time on figuring out how to do this in your own life. So one thing I would really encourage you on is avoid binging on spiritual junk food. You know who you are. Now, let me explain this. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say I'm allowed to do anything but not everything is beneficial. Now, the context here is Paul's writing to some new Christians, and they are so excited about this new Christian freedom they have. They're like, yes, no more rules, no more regulations. We don't have to do any of this stuff. And Paul's like, uh, kind of. Not exactly. (laughs) Because he's like, yeah, you're free, but there's still a bunch of stuff that's still not good for you. And when I'm talking about spiritual junk food, I'm talking about the things in your life that you are absolutely free to do. There's no verse that says you can't. You can even enjoy it on your day of rest if it's something you want to do, but it's much better in small amounts. And too much of it is probably going to leave you feeling kind of spiritually gross and hazy and kind of hungover in some way. So it's like eating too much junk food. You know, good as a snack, not good as a meal. So let me, let me give you a couple examples, like things that would probably broadly apply, though there's a lot more. Uh, TV. Now, who in here, you know, likes a good show at the time, right? Like a good movie, got some movie buffs in here, I'm sure. Some of us, you love just to watch sports, that's your thing. Now, that's totally fine. You can even do that on your Sabbath. I do sometimes too. But who in here knows that feeling you have after like a 12 season binger on a show? You know that feeling? You feel kind of gross. You feel like you haven't showered in seven days. You feel just kind of like hazy in your head and you're like tired and achy. It's just a weird feeling. Like, that's what I mean by like, it's like a binge. And maybe at rare instances, you can do that. You binge Lord of the Rings, you know, series or whatever you want to do. Um, but probably not something you should do every single week on your Sabbath. Another one, video games. <laughs> now, are video games a sin? I just heard a lady say yes. <laughs> in the front every woman is like, please say yes. Please say it's a sin, Brian, because my boyfriend and my husband just plays them all day like a four-year-old child. And I can't get him to stop. Um. I know ladies, you wish I would say that. They would do you a lot of help. (laughs) No, video games are not a sin, but I'm telling you, and I know ladies, some of you play video games, but typically it's a guy thing. Guys, if you're doing a 12 to 14 hour, you know, LAN binger gaming session every single week on your day off, um, probably not the best way to use the time. Probably not, especially if you're in a serious relationship. That's why the person next to you is squeezing your hand right now. Like, yeah, he's talking to you. Um, One more. One more that's just uh, usually common for people. Social media. I don't know many people that have a super healthy relationship with social media. And I don't know many people that get off of two hours of Instagram and think, you know what? I I love my life. I'm actually really grateful for my life. And I don't think anybody else has a better life than me. My life is great. You don't think that. You're like miserable and you're depressed. And something I've actually learned from myself is I've tried to do little snacks of social media on, on my Sabbath, and sometimes I will, but it's easier for me just to actually subtract it. My Sabbath goes a lot better if I subtract. Now, Nicole, she doesn't have an issue with this. She'll jump on, do a couple things, check in on some people, and just be off. It's not an issue. So you just got to think of what works for you. All I'm saying is there are some things that are totally fine in moderation, but... If you start to make the snack a meal, it's probably not going to create delight. It's probably going to steal away from worship, and it's going to have you just feeling unrested by the time you're done with it. So if you have any of those things in your life, it's worth maybe putting a couple rules around it. Not, not to be legalistic, but just say, hey, for me, this isn't going to give me rest if I do too much of it. So something to think about. The last thing I'll say before we close. Do a little planning and preparation. Nicole and I went around this merry-go-round over and over again for a long time. And what would happen is we'd wake up on our Sabbath and look at each other and be like, so what do you want to do? And Nicole would be like, I don't know. What do you want to do? And I'd be like, I have no idea. And then before we know it, it'd be 3 p.m. in the afternoon. We'd be like, what do you want to do? And be like, this day was terrible. This was so dumb. What are we doing? And we'd do that so many times. It got so frustrating. And what we learned is if you don't have a plan, it kind of all just falls apart and it's not really restful. And Again, as we started doing some study on this, we found that historically, again, Jews would spend an entire day preparing for Sabbath. It would be called the day of preparation. I don't think you need a whole day, but I think the principle really helps. You need to take some time to be like, okay, what, what's the plan? Do we have any, just like one or two commitments that we're going to do, see any people kind of do this activity, free time? What's the meal plan? What's it just going to look like so we don't have to just get caught off guard? Here's something that Nicole and I have stepped into that has just made it better for us. On Friday, Nicole will actually prepare all the meals for Saturday because... Cooking isn't really work for her, but she just doesn't really want to do it on Saturday. And some of you guys are chefs in here and you love to cook, cook 12 meals on your Sabbath. Invite me over. I'll be happily eat all the food you prepared, okay? You can do that. But for Nicole, she's like, just don't want to cook, does that. Clean the house a little bit on Friday just so it's not like super stressful on the day off and then we just kind of leave it. But then we'll talk and we'll just say, okay, what are we doing? What's the plan? And usually we'll have one or two just kind of like anchor events. Okay, we're going to go hang out with these people during this chunk of time or we're going to go check that place out. And then in between that, it's just kind of like free time then. And we hang out and it's really chill. But now when we get to Sabbath, it's like we know what's coming. And it's great. And we can just step into it and relax. So this is really the thing. Do not plan your Sabbath on your Sabbath. Okay? You will be constantly frustrated. You want something to look forward to. So put a little bit of structure in it and it'll totally change your life. And let me put that site up one more time again. For anybody who wanted to go deeper, nhills.org slash resources. Check out that rest section. And with a little bit of preparation and research and all this, I'm telling you, it will completely change the way you experience rest. But as we close, I know this is very like practical message. I want to make sure you hear the heart before we pray. Exodus 16:29. it says this, the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. God has this special present for you. He's saying, I want you to rest. I want to give you rest for your soul. I want you just to enjoy this thing and let it remind you of just the goodness of who I am. And this is so much more profound than a day off, everybody. I had this experience a couple weeks ago, actually. And I think this is a taste of really what God wants for us. Nicole and I had a Saturday that was just one of those random nice weather days in the middle of just winter kind of stopping. And there was nothing unusual about it. You know, we kind of woke up slow, took our time. I had cookies for breakfast because I can do that on Sabbath. And um, we just were enjoying the day. We found a new park in Denver, hung out there with the kids. They brought their bikes and scooters, very chill. We stopped at G- Dairy Queen, praise the Lord. And um, it was just a chill day. Watched, watched a little bit. I think it was March Madness on TV at the time. It was, it was a good day. But there was one moment in the day that actually marked me. Like it has been burned into my consciousness. It was so profound for me. We were just hanging out again. Nothing really, really happening. And in this moment, you know, I had a lot of responsibilities going on. There's a lot of weight. There's stress to worry about. There's personal stuff. There's work stuff, as always. But in this moment, it felt like all the weight was just lifted off. I felt this weird sense of just joy bubbling up in my heart. And I'm using my words very carefully here. I experienced. A real moment of transcendence. It felt like I stepped out of time itself. And in that moment, I felt like I was getting just a small taste of eternity. You need to see, God gave us Sabbath so we can just get a small taste of what He actually has planned for us true rest, eternal rest. You see, Jesus already accomplished all the work on the cross. He did everything to give you true rest. He died in your place. He died to forgive your sins, and he conquered sin and death and resurrected to usher in this promise of eternal rest for everybody who would trust in him. So when you practice Sabbath, you know what you're actually doing? You are practicing for eternity you're getting just a small little sample of what God has planned for you. And God is saying, I want to give you a gift where you get a weekly reminder of what you have in Jesus. Eternal Sabbath. True rest for your soul. And until that day comes, you can now practice this thing called Sabbath. You can delight in it. You can worship God in it. And through all of that, God is going to give you, even in this life, True rest for your soul. Will you guys pray with me? Lord, we just thank you so much that you want to give good gifts to your kids. You're not bringing down rules and regulations. You are offering rest. Rest for our souls. So Lord, we just thank you for your heart in this matter. You said, I made this thing for you. You're not meant to serve it, it's meant to serve you. So thank you, God, for this gift of a rhythm of rest, of Sabbath in our lives. And I pray right now, Lord, I know there's many people in our church who have been in church their entire lives and have never learned about this principle, who have never tried to actually practice a real rhythm of rest in their lives. And I pray right now, Lord, that you truly would set some people free in our church that they can get out of just this exhausting hamster wheel called the 21st century, and they can step into what you have for us, God, this timeless principle of rest. And so, God, let us experience this as a church. Help us live it out. We want to be a witness to this world, Lord, that we can live in rest, not just one day a week, but all the days of the week, because we know the rest that we have in you, the promise of eternal rest, true Sabbath, Jesus himself. And for anybody in here, you need to understand the heart. This is not about you getting a day off. This is about you experiencing the true presence, power, and love of Jesus in your life. And that is something that maybe some of you in here would acknowledge that you actually do not have. And right now, God is calling out to you. He's saying, please receive my rest. Receive Jesus. Bring him into your life. And I'm giving you this invitation right now. You can reach out to him right now in your heart and mind to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to change me. I want you to give me true rest. I want you to restore my soul, Lord. And Lord, I pray over everybody reaching out to you. I pray for salvation in this church. I pray for you to deliver people. I pray for them to be free, Lord. And I pray for all of us, God, that we can just delight in the goodness of rest as a reminder of the true rest we have in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.